Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to? So I just had this fascinating conversation with a professor at the Harvard Business School. And we got into talking about the changes that have happened in the world of work and the things that the millennials and the Gen Zs, the pressure that they are putting on the workforce to have a different kind of work. And it was especially fascinating because this was an older gentleman, probably, I would guess, 60s, early 70s, somewhere in there. And he's a professor. And so, you know, he certainly has been seeing some of these changes. And his perspective is, yeah, there are a few things that have changed in the world of work. And the only thing that is different about these these younger generations is that they don't yet have mortgages and kids and things. And that is completely not my perspective on things. And, and he also was talking about how, like, the only thing that has happened different in the world of work is that we have moved from really an industrial mechanic age into a service industry age. And that is calling for a different level of attention to the people in an organization. But, you know, really, maybe not so much. And of course, that is not my perspective. And so it was really both challenging and fun to be having this conversation with this with this gentleman who has such a different idea about things than me. Which brings me right to our guest for today, with whom I expect to have a little bit more synergy. So y'all, I am so excited about our guest. Our guest is the amazing Stephen M. R. Covey. So Stephen Covey is the author of Speed of Trust and his newer book, Trust and Inspire. He was the CEO of the Covey Leadership Institute that his father, who many of you may also be familiar with, Dr. Covey, created. So this was the Covey Leadership Institute, and Dr. Covey created that. And under Stephen's leadership, this company grew to be the largest leadership development company in the world, operating in about 150 countries all around the world. So I am so honored to have Stephen M. R. Covey with us today. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Wow. Well, thank you, Janine. I'm equally honored to be with you. 
and to have this chance to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it and I'm excited that we're here together. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So tell me, Stephen, what is something that you have become aware of that we're not paying enough attention to? And what's that costing us? I would say this, because there's a lot of different things. <laughs> yes. Let, let me say that kind of the whole basis of this new book, Trust mm. and Inspire, what, we're, what we haven't paid attention to is kind of, I'm going to call it our leadership style. Mm-hmm. I'll even go further and say our leadership paradigm of how we, how we view people, how we view leadership. It's too much kind of trapped in the old model, the old way of thinking, the traditional approach to leadership. And, and I give a name to it in the book. I call it command and control. Yep. Now, what's happened is we've become better at doing. We've become <laughs> more, more We advanced. just repackaged command we and repackaged control. It's a new and improved version, right? So it's a more advanced version of it, a more sophisticated so I call that enlightened command and control, <laughs> which yes. is the new, better version of it. But, but the right. paradigm, the paradigm of how the we mindset, view people, the mindset, yeah. how we view people, how we view leadership is still more the old model, the traditional yep. model. It's just, it's kind of juiced up with kindness and, <laughs> and some good things about it and some mission and trustworthiness and things, but still too much of a people, a, a thing paradigm, an efficiency paradigm. Yeah. So I think we need to be pay attention to how we're leading and to the style mm-hmm. of leadership that we're employing and that of our organization, because there is a high cost to leading with the old mm-hmm. command and control model, mm-hmm. because the cost is that we're less and less relevant by the day Yeah. with the people that we're leading. I, I tend to agree with you, Janine, that I'm more probably aligned with you than with yes. this Harvard professor you mentioned that is saying there's not that many changes. I think there's been a lot of changes right. in a whole host of arenas, including technology, yes. or just one, you know, where there's disruption now everywhere. But also, not only has the nature of work changed through, you know, to from the you know, industrial age into a knowledge worker age and the service yes. model. It's far more collaborative. It's far more yes. interdependent. And these younger generations, in particular Gen Z, but also even millennials have a, co- a completely different expectation right. of how they want to be engaged. Plus now the workplace has changed quite a bit with you know, work from home, work from anywhere, remote work, hybrid yep. work, contentional yep. flexible work options that weren't that prevalent a few years ago. <laughs> nope. And then there's so many choices and options today in a way that people didn't have before. Right? I can live right. here, work there, and, and suddenly have all these options. So all these forces of change have put a premium on making sure that we have a style of leadership that is relevant for our time, That's for this right. new world of work. I like to say a new world of work requires a new way to lead. And the old way, command and control, even the best version of it, the enlightened command and control, is not relevant. We won't attain the top talent. We won't collaborate and innovate to stay relevant in this changing world with command and control. We need a new way to lead, and I call it trust and inspire in contrast to command and control. That's the idea. Yeah. So if 
If you are listening to us today and you haven't yet gotten Stephen's book, Trust and Inspire, please do. It is brilliant and filled with both wonderful anecdotes and stories and amazing facts. One of the things that, you know, there's, I could, I could write a book on the, all the things that stood out from, for me from your book. And one of them was when you were talking about the speed of information. And let's see if I can get this right. In 1900, it took a century to double sort of human knowledge. And back in 1982, it took, oh crap, what, like a year? 13 months. 13 months. So I was close. 13 months to double human knowledge. And now it is taking, is it 12? 12 hours. 12 hours to double human knowledge. So when we think about sort of the speed of disruption, when we think about the speed of information, the speed of change, the speed of work, we are in a dramatically different paradigm than we've ever been in before. Totally. Yeah. It's completely different. A level of, of change and disruption that's unprecedented, and it's only going to continue. Right. <laughs> you know, the pace of change, the amount of change, the type of change, unprecedented. And now we're seeing what's going to happen with, we're just in the front end of artificial intelligence. Right. And, you know, and all the implications that will flow out of that, that we've yet to factor in and, and, and experience. Right. So all of this is just hitting us in new and different ways. And that's all part of the forces of change right. that change the nature of work today. And that require a different way of leading today. So I want to get into both trust and inspire. And I've been working with a fairly large organization on trust. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I realized when I started getting into this work with them is that people tend to have a perspective on trust that is either trust is granted or trust is earned. And in my experience, when you're working with folks who are in that first arena, the trust is granted arena, it is easier for them to get their minds around some things about trust and the way really that trust works. And so I'm curious from your perspective, when you're working and speaking with people, because I know you do a lot of keynote speaking these days, when you are doing that with people who you have a hunch or you actually have data that they may be in that trust is earned category, how how does that change the way that you talk with them about the trust part of Trust and Inspire? Yeah. Well, here's the thing that they're partly right. They're half yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I like to make the point that trust is earned. We have yes. to demonstrate our character and our competence, our credibility, but also trust is given. Mm-hmm. Trust is granted. Mm-hmm. And that's vital too. If, if someone is trustworthy, 
They could be working with another trustworthy person such that you have two trustworthy people working together. And yet there might be no trust between them. Right. If neither person is willing to extend trust to the other, to give it. So yes. So I, I try to meet people where they're at and say, yeah. yes, we need to be trustworthy. We as leaders are people as a team, yeah. but it's not enough to merely be trustworthy because you could have trustworthy people working together and no trust between them. Yeah. So in addition to being trustworthy, which we aren't, yes. we as leaders need to be trusting, which we give, which we grant. And yeah. I find as I look at that simple formula of trustworthiness times trusting, equaling trust, you know, high trust team, high trust culture, that the greater gap in the creation of trust is less that people aren't trustworthy. Sometimes that's the case. Right. But it's less that they haven't earned it. And it's more on the side that we're not trusting enough. We're not giving enough trust. And so I try to meet people where they're at, say, yes, we got to be trustworthy. And one of the best ways to help bring about increased trustworthiness is to trust people, is to give them the opportunity to extend that trust and what it does to them, how they rise to the occasion, how they want to live worthy of that trust and, and perform, you know, live up to it. Yeah. And the vast majority of people respond to being trusted and it brings out the best in them and they, and they grow and they develop new capabilities so you can trust even them, them more going forward. Yeah. And they tend to perform better. But here's the great thing. They also tend to reciprocate and give the trust back to you. Uh, and we need them as leaders. <laughs> we certainly do. And so if you're a person who, for whom granting that trust feels challenging, do you have any ideas? Like, is it, is it really just, all right, I, I know it's uncomfortable and stretch into that or in the work that you have done studying trust now for that's a long time, do you have any specific ideas about like, if that's really foreign to me, how I can, what are the baby steps that I can take towards yep. making that more of a routine for me? Beautiful. It's a great question, Janine, because for some, it's really hard to extend that right. trust. And it's not that they don't want to. Right. Usually, it's, I find in most cases, most people want to trust, but they're worried that they might get burned or that right. the person might not respond to the trust or they might, you know, be, be taken down. advantage of. It could or, be right. taken advantage of, or maybe the job doesn't get done and they're responsible for the results. And, right. you know, so they usually have a desire to, but they're worried about it or yep. maybe they've been burned before. Right. And, you know, it's hard to trust when you've been really burned bad type of yep. thing. And, and so, so here's a couple of thoughts. The, the first is what I call smart trust. Mm. So you know, it's not a blind trust. A blind trust yeah. is just kind of indiscriminate, which is, hey, trust anyone and everyone. <laughs> and I'm not saying that. And I'm yeah. not saying that you just give trust freely, indiscriminately. No, you got to use good judgment. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're trying to assess the situation. What am I extending trust on? You're trying to assess the risk involved. How risky is this? I mean, I mean, if something is going to sink the company, if it's not done right and well, then I'm going to be a lot more careful about giving trust in such an area. Yeah. And if it's something just 
you know, about a better way of doing something, you know, mm-hmm. type of thing. So yeah. I, I have to use good judgment of what's, what am I extending trust on? What's the risk involved? And what's the credibility of the person or the people involved? If they've got a strong track record of delivering and performing, getting results, I can be far more trusting sooner and faster. Yeah. If they're brand new to the role of the job, there's a lot of risk. I'm going to be a lot more careful and cautious about how I extend that trust. So it's not a one size fits all. It's good judgment. I call it smart trust. That's the first thing. Have that mindset. I'll yeah. give you the second key thing. Please. When you extend trust, always build an agreement together around the trust being given, mm-hmm. around the trust being extended. And that agreement has two parts. A clarity of expectations around the trust being given, including the desired results yep, and the guidelines to achieve those results and the resources that we have. And so always clarify expectations around the trust being given and mutually agree to a process of accountability against those expectations. So that way you're building an agreement. And in that agreement, there's some quote control of mm-hmm. expectations and accountability. And suddenly, if I have built that agreement with the other person, then when I'm extending trust to them, it's not, again, just a blind trust that's indiscriminate without accountability. No, it's a smart trust with clear expectations, with an agreed upon process for accountability to those expectations. But suddenly, the person feels empowered, but I've, I've not lost control. It's just right. I've shifted my control from me having to hover over and micromanage their every move to we have an agreement in place and this person is going to report back frequently on this agreement. And if the trust is kind of being earned, I have them report back more frequently. Yeah. If the trust has really been established and is strong, maybe they just report back routinely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's again, I can, I can tailor it to the situation yeah. and to the person, to the trust being extended. But this way, by building that agreement together, it keeps smart trust smart and it builds in control. And I love, I love what you just said. So by building that agreement together, you know, because often as, as leaders, as managers, as, you know, bosses, many of us grew up in the world of work where I would say to you, Stephen, I need you to be accountable for this thing. And I would hand it off and then I would. I would go away. I would abandon you to yeah. that thing. And then you either got it done the way that I wanted or you didn't. And probably I didn't tell you that much about how I really wanted it done. And, and so, you know, I, I love this combination of trust and accountability that you are uh, creating here. Because when I work with organizations on accountability, I say, you know, we are, our normal paradigm of accountability is what I just described. We have an opportunity instead to create accountability as partners. And so I can say to you, Stephen, I need you to be accountable for this thing. Here's what success is going to look like. Here's why I need it the way that I need it. Here's what's going to get created by you doing that. And is that something for which you can be accountable? And then you get to actually say yes or no. If you can't say no, you actually can't really say yes. So it's a real conversation around like, can you be accountable for this thing? And if the answer is no, then we get to figure it out. And can you be accountable for a piece of it? Or do we have to rejigger your workload or whatever, if I really need for you to be accountable for this thing? 
And then I get to ask you, so Stephen, what do you need from me in order for you to be accountable for this? And we get to check in on it. And it made me, you know, that that construct that I use, very similar to this smart trust concept that you use, it also made me think about the charming story that you tell about clean and green. And, and I love that story because we can all connect to it and because it connects so well with what you're talking about. Would you, would you tell us that story, please? Absolutely. It's one of my favorite. It's, it's happened with my dad. Right. And when he was trying to teach us kids responsibility and the like, and, and, and so he gave me the responsibility in a family meeting to, to take care of the lawn. I actually volunteered for it. Right. You know, I was, I was just a young boy, seven years old. And so he trained me over a couple week period, how to take care of the lawn, the, the yard, to make sure that it was green and that it was clean. Now, this was back in the days before automatic sprinklers. Right. So I, you know, back when you had to manually go and do it and everything. Push the mower and all exactly. those. Exactly. And, and yes. you know, and so it's a, it's a lot easier today with, with automatic <laughs> sprinklers, but back then they didn't have them. And so, and we had three pieces of a lawn in three different parts of the house that I had to kind of watch over, but he trained me over like a two week period of time and taught me what green looked like yeah. and taught me what clean looked like. You know, we would clean part of the yard and leave the other part unclean. I would see the difference. Again, I'm seven years old. Right. So he kind of, he kind of trains me, builds an agreement with me. And then he, after two weeks, turns it over to me. And Janine, I'm a little bit ashamed to say. <laughs> no, it's perfect because it's so human. Yeah. It's so human. Because I did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did nothing. I am excited about being accountable for this and I'm going to do nothing about it. Yeah, that, that, that's what happened. First day. And you were seven. I was seven. <laughs> you know, it's the middle of the summer, so it's scorching hot. First day goes by, I do nothing. Second day, nothing. Third day, nothing. Fourth day, nothing. Fifth day, nothing. Yeah. And, the, and the lawn is turning yellow by the hour at this point. It's right. scorching hot in the middle of the summer. Right. And rather than green and clean, it's yellow and messy because we had, <laughs> we, had, we had a family barbecue over the weekend where people oh. had thrown, you know, cups and plates and everything. Yeah. And my dad was just so tempted to just kind of say, you know what? I tried, but he's too young. You're, on, you're not old enough yet, to, you know, to do this. Yep. Yeah. You just, you, you kind of you're not was ready. tempted to go back to command and control, which is Absolutely. just kind of, I'll take the job and I'll, I'll just direct them. Just tell yep. them what to do. But he didn't. He stayed with it. Because he realized that his greater purpose, he said, was to raise the child, not the lawn. Not <laughs> raise kids, not grass. So he stayed with it. And then, but he went back to the agreement that we built together. And he said, well, why don't we walk around the yard like we agreed? And you can tell me how it's going. Because that was part mm. of the agreement. I would judge myself against the standard of green and clean. So that was all in line with the agreement. He wasn't violating the agreement. He was right. living up with it. And so we walked around the yard and I, I began to break down and cry because I realized this is not green and clean. Yeah. And, I, and I said, well, dad, this is Yo, so hard. Dirty. This is so hard. He it's said, so hard, what's hard? you haven't done one thing yet. <laughs> you know, but what was hard was me to learn to kind of to take responsibility, to take initiative, to own it, to be accountable. And I realized that's usually what's hard. That's yeah, usually, it is. That's usually the part that's hard. But my dad had agreed that he would help me if he had time. And so I said, 
I said, Dad, do you have time? Would you help me? He says, I've got time. So I ran into the house and I got two garbage sacks. And I took one and I gave one to my dad. And then I began to instruct him and said, Dad, would you go over there and pick up that garbage? Because it makes me want to vomit. And he says, right. he said, I'm your helper. I'll do whatever you want. It was at so that cool. moment I realized this is my job. I own this. Look, my dad is responding to what I'm telling him to do. He's my helper. I'm in charge. You're the boss. I'm the boss. And I realized yeah. at that time I own this job. And I began to take responsibility from that day forward. I began to see myself differently as I'm capable. I'm responsible. And I took care of that lawn. And it was green and it was clean, not only for that summer, but actually, Janine, for many, many summers to come. And I rose to the occasion. And here's what happened is my father, he, he was really doing trust and inspire with me. He, mm -hmm. he built the agreement together. He extended trust to me with expectations and accountability. But I felt, I felt trusted by my dad and that inspired me. I wanted to be worthy of it. I wanted to live, live up to it. And what he did above all was he treated me according to my potential, not my behavior. Oh. And I ultimately rose to my potential versus treating me down to my behavior where I might get into a vicious cycle of, hey, there's, you know, he was right not to, you know, to not trust me because I didn't right. deliver. Instead, he treated me according to my potential. And I began to live up to it. And I began to see myself differently. So it's just a great little example with, at yeah. the most basic level with a seven-year-old of how people respond to being trusted and how with that trust, if you build the agreement together, you can have expectations and accountability. I love how you said it earlier, Janine. You said when you do your trust work, when you do work with people and the accountability work that we're partners, yeah. we're doing this with each other and not to each other because you could build the agreement in a command and control way where you just dictate the agreement. It's right. all one-sided saying, here's what it is. Here's the results. Here's the guidelines. You're accountable to me. I'll come and see how you're doing. That's one way. That's command and control. And, and yet, that's the I way might, it's usually been done. It's the way it's usually been done. And yeah. it might be like, yeah, I've got an agreement, but there's no buy-in to it. There's no agreement. There's no commitment. Like you say, you can't say no, you can't yes. say yes. I love that's that. That's right. <laughs> it's brilliant. And, and instead, if you build it together, we were partners. And then, then you can have buy-in, you get commitment. The odds of people doing it go up dramatically, but also you not only get the job done better, they grow as people and they reciprocate and return trust back to you. Yeah. And that grows. It's just such a better way to lead and, <laughs> and get out of people. And that's the world we're in today where commanding and controlling people doesn't work with where with a knowledge worker age and economy and with the kind of talent that we have, we need to trust and inspire our people. We need to lead them, you know, not just try to manage them or micromanage them. I like to say that people don't want to be managed. People do want to be that. Absolutely. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. Such a and, better way to lead. Oh, such a better way to lead. And so let's get into the inspired part of this right. a little bit. When, you know, obviously there is a strong corollary between trust and inspire. And what are the other elements for you when you think about the inspiration part of the equation? Yeah, this is, I think there's some breakthrough insight in this. Yeah. Because 
I believe that this is where leadership is going, Janine, towards inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, my basic premise is, is that the future of leadership is moving from command and control to trust and inspire. Mm-hmm. We kind of get the trust piece. We've been talking about that. Here's what the inspire piece means. Think about it. Inspire comes from the Latin term inspirare. It means to breathe life into. Mm. So when you inspire someone, you're breathing life into relationships, into teams, into cultures, whereas command and control oftentimes tends to suck the life out. It's exhausting. It's yep. Right. Versus lighting the fire within. But Trust Inspire starts with the idea that inside of everyone, there's an inner fire. That fire can get lit. And it usually is lit internally by the person, like it was for me as a seven-year-old, right. where I realized I own this job. <laughs> My dad believes in me and he trusts me. The fire was lit inside of me. That fire once lit can burn on for months, if not years, without the need for constant external stimuli. I move from mere motivation to real inspiration. See, motivation is external, extrinsic, outside Mm -hmm. of me. So it's heavy carrot and stick motivation, heavy rewards. Nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just incomplete. You know, do rewards work? Sure, Sure. they motivate people to want to get more rewards. We got to constantly provide more external cookies, or rewards, <laughs> or carrots, or right. Marks. Whereas inspiration is internal, it's intrinsic, it's inside of people. If you light that fire within, it can burn on for months without the need for external stimuli. And to tap into that, you can go to a whole different place. Mm-hmm. And and you know, people want to be inspired today, especially today, especially and, today. Yes. Yeah. And so a study from Zanger Folkman, they 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 looked at the top competencies that people want from their leaders. And they assess 16 different competencies of what I want as a direct report to a leader. And this is at any level. So it could be an individual contributor with an immediate supervisor, but it could be a senior leader to a higher senior leader. What do I want from my leader? The number one thing that they wanted by far was a leader who inspires those about him or her. Mm -hmm. They inspire by who they are and by how they lead, and by connecting really to why it matters. And so the basic premise is this, that inspiring others is not only the greatest leadership need today, but inspiring others is actually a a learnable skill. Mm -hmm. Everyone can inspire us, not just for the charismatic. We've too often conflated inspiration with charisma, thinking, hey, if I'm going to inspire people, I got to be charismatic, and that's just not me. No, they're different. Right. I know some people who are charismatic, but who are not inspiring. <laughs> and I know others who, who no one would describe as charismatic, right? but who are extraordinarily inspiring because of who they are and how they lead and how they care, how they connect. Right. It's you know, it, it is so different. And I was thinking of a, of a woman when you were, when you were creating that distinction, who she's quiet and she's an introvert and what she sees in other people Mm. is their brilliance, Mm -hmm. their spark, their leadership. She holds people as, as great or greater than they know themselves to be. And, and we want that kind of leadership. It's not the, you know, can stand up in front of, 100,000 people and give an amazing speech, that's nice. But what we really want is people who 
pull for us, who pull for the best in us, who are a stand for the best in us and can tease that out of us largely through showing that they actually care about who we are, what we're up to, not just as a producer of work, but as a human being. And, yeah. and so I, I love the way that you tease that out in, in your book, Trust and Inspire. Beautiful. I love it. And you said it beautifully. And you're exactly right. It does actually start with the paradigm mm -hmm. of how we view people. Do you see the greatness inside of them? And do they feel like you see their potential, their greatness? Because if you don't, as a leader, who's going to? And, you know, it might be lying dormant, the greatness that they have. Maybe it's unseen, but as I think it was Thoreau who said it, it's not what we look at that matters. It's what we see. And do we see the greatness in people? And then do we help them come to see it in themselves mm -hmm. so that we communicate it to us so they come to see it? In fact, this was my father's definition of leadership. I think it's apropos here. That leadership is communicating people's worth and potential so clearly that they come to see it in themselves. Because they're even inspired to see it in themselves. Yeah. That's what a leader does. They help them see it, that they have potential inside of them and they come to see that. And you also can develop it and unleash it. That's what Trust Inspire is all about. But then I love how you've highlighted that the, the attribute, that the, the element that will make this real to people is genuine caring. Yeah. That you care about them and they know and feel that you care. And that you create a sense of caring, but also a sense of belonging. They're part of this. Their, their identity is tied to being part of this team. And the reason caring and belonging are so powerful for people is because they feel that. They feel right. caring and belonging. And I think it was Maya Angela who said, I, I've learned that people will forget what you said. Yep. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yep. And people feel that sense of caring and belonging. And that's what a leader can do. They can demonstrate caring and, and create a sense of belonging. And that doing that will inspire others. And, and then when you add one more piece to it, when you connect people to purpose, Mm. and demeaning and the contribution, that also will inspire them. So, so my solution for inspiring is that we connect with people mm -hmm. through a sense of caring and belonging, and then we connect people to purpose and demeaning and to contribution. And that combination, connecting with people, connecting to purpose, is, will inspire others, and we can learn to get good at that. <laughs> We absolutely can. It's the reason with any organization that I, that I do an engagement with, I start with what's your mission. And yeah. if you're not clear on what your mission is, what's your purpose? Why do you exist? You know, I'm, I'm working with a trash company right now. And when, when I first said to them, so why do you exist? They said, well, we exist to pick up the trash. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> like, that's, that's what you're doing. Right. But they are a family-owned business. And for 60 years, they have never laid off anybody in this company. And certainly, you know, there have been ups and downs in the economy and 
they hire from within first. And, you know, like they have all of these elements of what makes them a great place to work, what makes them an amazing organization. And so helping tease that out from them about really what is your company about? It's, it has been so fun. And that's, that's the reason that people come and they stay with this company for their whole career. And then they're, they bring their kids and their nephews and their nieces. And, you know, it's, it is a multi-generational place because of what the leadership in the organization, what the, what the owners of the company ultimately really care about, which is, which is family. And so they have imbued the whole organization with that. And until we started really working together, you know, their purpose was to pick up the trash like yeah. that. <laughs> when, when we can disassociate, like, what is it that you do from who is it that you be? Right. Like that's then when people get really excited. And that's why people have stayed with this company for generations because Beautiful. it's who they be. It's who they be. See, yeah. command and control that focuses on what we do, trust and inspire us on who we are, who yeah. we be. Yeah. This is our essence. And there's a great illustration also of how you can create and embed purpose, meaning, and contribution into almost any role, into almost any organization. I mean, there's a company that's about, you know, what they do is pick up the trash. And yet you have created and embedded, they have purpose, meaning, and contribution yep. into their organization through this sense of family and into any role. That's a really powerful learning because sometimes people think, well, our work, you know, we're not curing cancer. Right. <laughs> no, they're not curing cancer either. They're, they're picking up trash, but they've created this sense of purpose with what they, with who they are, what they're about. Yep. I was with them. Um, Pepperdine University, mm -hmm. great university. And their school of business, the Graziato School of Business. This was their old purpose. And then and here's their new one. The old one was to produce, to produce leaders who are best in the world. Mm. And that's a good purpose. You know, you got, you know, world-class leaders. And stuff. Right. Then they went to another level when they said, how about our purpose become this? To produce leaders who are best for the world. Oh, for the world leaders. Oh. Now I'm tapping into something even greater. I'm really yeah. inspiring my people from the professors to the staff members to the janitors. Yes. I'm all about producing best for the world leaders. And I'm tapping into what, you know, what purpose can do to inspire people. So there's such a power to this, you know, connect with people through that sense of caring and belonging, and then connect people to purpose and to meaning and a contribution, and we can learn to inspire those around us. And I, that I argue that inspiring others not only is the greatest leadership need today, mm -hmm. but inspiring others is a stewardship we have as a leader. Mm -hmm. It is a responsibility that is mm -hmm. implicit in leadership. There's three of them, to model, to trust, and to inspire. To model the behavior you'd like to see, to trust and to extend that trust, yeah. we got the best in others, and to inspire by connecting with people and connecting to purpose. Those are stewardships that we have as a leader. And it's what our people can and should expect of us. And it's what we can provide 
our people and lead in a whole new way so that we become aware of our leadership style and our leadership paradigm of how we view people, how we view leadership. We are stewards and leadership is stewardship. And our job as a leader is to go first because someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. Amen. Well, Stephen, you have inspired me. Thank you for thank you for all of the work that you have done through your career on on trust. I mean, you know, when I think of trust, person I think of is Stephen M. R. Covey. So, thank, thank you. you for you know, thank you for that leadership. Thank you for the inspiration that you create. Thank you for spreading this message. You are you are a, a wonderful messenger for this message. Thank you for continuing your dad's legacy and and everything that he created that you've been able to continue to move forward in the world. And thank you for being here with us today. It has truly been my honor to be with you. Thank you, Janine. I appreciate your kindness and generosity to me. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a, a steward with the, <laughs> with the legacy. I'm trying my best to live up to it and, and to, to perpetuate it. So I feel humbled by what you just said. And so I thank you for that. And, and also, I really believe that we not only need this kind of leadership in our organizations and in our teams, I also believe that we need this kind of trust-inspired leadership in our homes. In our families. In our families. In our houses of worship. It, yes, right. and in our communities, in our right. service organizations and places of worship and other places that matter to us. Right. Because we have so much of the other, the, the traditional command and control we need models, models of a better way to lead in, in today's world. We need models who can become mentors to help others become that. And so I'm confident that your listeners for, for, for today and beyond yes. can become the, the models of the kind of leadership needed today, trust and inspire, who can then become mentors and help elevate not only our teams and our organizations, but ultimately our neighborhoods and our communities and ultimately our world. And that's what we need today. And I'm, I'm, I'm believing that I'm speaking to the models to take trust and inspire leadership forward. So thank you for the honor to be with you, Janine, and with, with, your, with your tremendous audience. Uh oh, my pleasure. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Yeah.
I'm begging 